Warren, I heard that it's really, really great to advertise on TikTok. Do you mean Twitter? Do yeah. You mean X? I do. I heard it's really, really great to advertise on Twitter. Yeah, the last, I think it was on our last episode, one of the recent ones, we had a prediction that like it was going to be really good for performance marketers on X after our boy Elon told everyone to stop advertising on X. And it turns out we were right. So yeah, like X has been just like crushing it on performance marketing lately, which is very counter narrative. I think most performance marketers abandoned X even before Elon you know, exacerbated the problem. But yeah, it's a good time to buy on X. We're going to do it. You can do it if you want, but Competition is low right now. No one's there. Scaling up? That's the real question. Are you giving them more money? <laughs> no. No comment. Oh, okay. Welcome to the Games Growth Update, your weekly trends, insight, and analysis of the games growth industry, researched and brought to you by Uptick. Learn how our team and technology drive millions of players to the world's best games at uptick.com. Welcome, welcome. Excited for this week. Lots to cover. We have a really great guest this week, Josh Chaka, who is on the wall. Excited to be on. one of our creative leads here at Uptick. And yeah, really excited to have you on, Josh. We had a lot going on in the AI. I mean, there's always a bunch of AI news like every week, but there's been a lot going on in kind of like the creative front of AI. And we do some cool stuff on our creative team. We have these regular, like we devote a certain amount of time each month to like R&D sessions where the team brings in different technology and tools. And Josh has been following and bringing in a lot of interesting AI tools in the scene. And so, you know, like we like to do on this show, we like bring in our experts that work in these segments. And so, yeah, Josh, happy to have you on the pod for the first time. Welcome, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. Awesome. So we'll talk about that a little bit at the end. But first, what counts for news in our world? First and foremost, GTA 6 dropped a trailer yesterday. I don't know if you guys watch it. We're going to queue it up and play it while we talk. Oh, yeah. Let's play it in the background here while we chat. All right. Yeah, so... GTA 6. Hopefully this won't be too distracting. You guys watch it? What yeah, I thought it was great. So just a little bit of background here. Rockstar dropped trailer for GTA 6 yesterday. So far, it's garnered 109 million views in one day. And I think the biggest takeaway, spoiler alert, it's, we're going to see it in a minute, is that the game's coming out in 2025. So that's a little bit later than everyone else expected. The crazy thing here, besides how gorgeous it looks and how many shaking booties there are in the video, is that the budget for this game overall is between one and two billion dollars, which is pretty freaking crazy if you think that like this is the most expensive piece of entertainment that's ever been produced. And I mean, it looks is is that real? Mm-hmm. It, it, this is this officially the most officially the biggest budget piece of entertainment, individual no? piece of entertainment. That, as far as I could find, I spent around I spent wow. a while looking around this today. But I mean, what do you guys think? Excited? Uh, yeah, a lot of talk about the booty physics in this trailer. It's it's interesting. I didn't kind of realize, I mean, obviously GTA 6 is a massive franchise in gaming, but I didn't realize just sort of how much pent-up demand there was. I knew it was going to be a big trailer, but definitely the appetite that people had and the anticipation for this exceeded my expectations. Josh, I know you worked in like the AAA gaming space before joining Uptick. You worked at EA previously, but... What are your thoughts on the rollout of the GTA 6 trailer? What do you think of the trailer from a creative standpoint? And yeah, are you excited? Yeah. So an amazing trailer, really excited. I'm going to miss the memes about how GTA 6 is never coming out. I just remember seeing like literally like a month ago, I think like I saw a meme on X where it was a guy who was like, your boy wakes up from a 10-year coma asking to play GTA 6 and you tell him it's still not how 
like i mean i don't know everything i've seen in the gaming community is just like this has been yeah the most anticipated release i think of any game i can think of just because we've had to wait for so long so yeah and i think finally it was a leak that finally released it right like at least some footage it wasn't a while ago. Well, there, someone leaked some gameplay footage a little while ago and then they finally got their act together there was also like a supposed leaked version of the trailer too that sounded like it had like a bad ai overdub to it and mm -hmm. definitely the what actually was released was a lot more polished and I'm, I'm glad that like the leak wasn't the final thing that we got yeah no it looks beautiful and the first thing i did was take a look at just the comparisons between like the graphics of five and six and continues to amaze me how good these games are looking yeah what is it with 10 years since five more and yeah. yeah one thing i wanted to talk about is it's kind of hard to put into context how big of a game gta 5 is and like we all work in the industry but i was so surprised when i pulled these numbers so GTA 5 has sold, do you guys want to guess how many copies it sold? 100 million. 190 million copies. Second most of any game ever. Want to guess what number one is? Anyone? Anyone? Minecraft. Okay. Minecraft at 300 million, which I was surprised. Okay. But GTA 5 is the highest grossing game ever with $8 billion in revenue. <laughs> it's, which makes it, as far as I could tell, I did some research, the single largest piece of entertainment of all time. So you have franchises that are worth more. But like, as far as one piece of entertainment, GTA 5 is the highest of all time. And I mean, it seems almost impossible with the amount of production they put in that GTA 6 doesn't take the crown. Yeah, I mean, when you frame the production budget of GTA 6 in light of the revenue from GTA 5, it all of a sudden doesn't sound that ridiculous. You know, 25% of the revenue from the prior, so the production budget for this one actually seems pretty sensible. The thing that struck me, the work we do at Uptick, we're playing with different kinds of growth marketing levers. Obviously, paid and performance marketing is a part of that. We also do organic marketing strategies. But the thing I've been thinking about a lot with this is just how much brand equity, for a lack of better term, GTA as a brand has earned through now, what, was 97 GTA 1 yeah. came out? So that's what, 30 years plus of building brand equity over time. Am I thinking about that right? Uh, 25 years-ish. Math is hard. Yeah, it's really interesting because obviously they did PR around this, but this is like organic demand. And this isn't them running like a massive paid advertising campaign. And that only happens after, you know, at this point, literal like generations of nothing but hits. Like I know some of the spinoffs have had questionable feedback, but you think about the legacy of GTA as a brand versus even take like a brand like Call of Duty, where it's brand with a lot of equity, but it's also controversial anytime there's a release there's been some bombs there's been some hated releases in there by the general community and i think that's sort of the story here with gta it's like when you fire only hits over such a long track record you really build up that brand equity over time i don't know what are you guys thoughts on basically why why is there this so much latent demand for gta 6 it really surprised me yeah i mean it's a great game one thing i mentioned earlier warren is like the m&m effect which i think that this has really been the beneficiary of which is like basically since it's beginning of time gta has come out and it's been really controversial because they've touched themes that no one else has touched on. And then all the newspapers go say, oh my God, this game is terrible for your kids. Don't get it. And then every kid in the world goes to go grab it and talk to their friends about it. And it's been just a fly loop of that right. for 30 years. And then on top of that, it's just like the best game ever or one of the most widely distributed games ever. High quality content and really high modability, which has been a major aspect of GTA 5, which just means that like they continue to grow and grow. Yeah, that's a good point too. I hadn't thought about that. Like I think subconsciously, I thought about the fact like, oh, I should watch this. It's also going to be a ridiculous trailer because it's GTA. 
But I think that probably drove a lot of views of this too, even of people that aren't actually interested in playing the game. Josh, what are your thoughts on why this trailer blew up as much as it did? Yeah, I think just the fact that like if you go on Switch to this day, 10 years later, GTA 5 is still one of the top streamed yep. games. And I think like Xander said, it's because of the mods and just the community around it is just wild. Like how many games have that, you know, how many games yeah. have that kind of longevity? So yeah, I think the other thing too is just Rockstar's commitment to quality. I remember when Dead Red Redemption 2 came out, obviously not the same level of hit, but people were just losing their minds about the level of detail, right? And it just really has a strong impact on gamers, especially today where a lot of times it feels like releases are rushed out and then patched up afterwards and stuff. It's like hitting the schedule is more important than releasing like the best quality game. So in a world of a lot of that, and EA was definitely one of those kind of companies that was seen that way. You contrast that to Rockstar where they'll just take their sweet time, even if it annoys fans, to release something great. And yeah, it's well well there. Yeah. And it's worked for them so far. All right. Well, that's longer than I anticipated us talking about the GTA 6 trailer, but good for them. They're getting more earned media. Warren, you want to go on to our next topic? Yeah, so we have AppsFlyer making the news in a couple of ways this week. Firstly, we'll just quickly touch on something that we've been tracking and awaiting anxiously as a team that works at the nexus of Web3 games and traditional games. AppsFlyer announced and Spindle announced a formal integration between the platforms. So there was a PR release about this this week. So Spindle and AppsFlyer announced a new two-way integration which is going to enable developers and marketers to send data between AppsFlyer and Spindle, AppsFlyer as a traditional mobile measurement provider and Spindle as an on-chain Web3 measurement provider. So this is one of the first big public partnerships that's going to be kind of talking between the two spaces. And this is really important because a lot of the games that we're most bullish on here at Uptick from the Web3 sector are games that have mobile free-to-play DNA and are launching on mobile platforms. So a lot of these games have these hybrid economies, like some of the games that actually Josh leaves on in our portfolio for our partner Immutable, like uh, I'm thinking of Peel the Partians, like they're going to be at this nexus of they have Web3 elements, but they also have free-to-play economies. And it's a really complicated problem to solve for and measure right now. So we're excited to see the first of what we hope is many announcements and disclosure. I am also personally an advisor for Spindle, so grain of salt with that. But we are going to have, are we having both teams on next week, Xander? Did we confirm we're at least going to have Antonio Spindle, the CEO? Juggling schedule. Yeah, we're we're trying to get both Spindle and AppsFire on the podcast next week to go a little deeper in this. So I think we can go a little deeper on it next week. But before going to the other AppsFire announcement this week, any thoughts on the Web3 plus mobile joining forces for attribution? Josh, you work on the Web3 side. Is this important to you? Like it is, but it's not my area really, to be honest. Right. Yeah. I'm excited for Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this is. It, it's going to mean that your ads show more ROAS, Josh. <laughs> this is important. And the reason is like, if you listen to this podcast ever, you hear me complaining about the fact that we're still missing a substantial amount of Web3 infrastructure and you can't really do growth marketing the way we traditionally did for Web3. And this is like a big link in the chain that was missing. And now, while I don't think it's going to be flawless implementation out the gate, it gives us the beginning that we can start working on to continue to scale up these hybrid economies, which is really, really exciting. And excited to have talked to Antonio next week. He's uh, very eloquent when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. So the other big announcement from AppsFlyer since the last show, and this is via Ad Exchanger, they announced the acquisition of a company called Ulo. O-O-L-O. So AppsFlyer recently finalized its second acquisition within a month. We covered recently the acquisition of another company called Dev2Dev. It was like an in-app analytics platform. 
So they finalized the second acquisition within the month. Ulo is a self-proclaimed AI-powered UA platform, user acquisition platform, specializing in app data analysis for forecasting, growth identification, and ad revenue anomaly detection. So this kind of came out of nowhere. I had never heard of Ulo before. They did have some notable client testimonials on their website. I feel like there's been a longstanding promise of AI is going to solve all your UA problems. And I know we're going to dig in some other AI things today on the creative side. And this is interesting. I have no opinion on how legit Ulo is as a tool. It might be great. It might not work at all. I do know there's been a lot of shots on goal for startups saying that they're going to solve UA with AI. None of them have really panned out at scale. It doesn't mean it's not great teams building them, but it's just like a tricky problem to solve. Like there's all the technical requirements of being able to actually write to these ad networks, just the standard complexity of AI. And it's so far there's been no one that really tied this all together. But what do you guys think about just at face value, AppsFlyer acquiring a UA AI company and what that means for their future and how it integrates into their portfolio? I think we talked a lot about how AppsFlyer has, they've been sort of the piping and the raw data source, but they have not been a great insights layer. And so strategically, this makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. as they build out this plus the dev to dev acquisition, a team that is capable of providing insights on top of attribution data. So that strategically, that makes a ton of sense. There's another component to this, which is they're talking about how they're folding this into their privacy cloud marketplace, which is a marketplace they're building out to allow other software vendors to build on top of their marketplace, which makes them a platform company. Now, the rumor is they're attending to IPO by end of next year. And you know what does really, really well in public market? Platform companies. And so while I think this is strategically intelligent, I think it's also part of them painting a story ramping up to planned IPO next year. And so while you know it's, it's both good strategically and it's good, good financially and it makes sense, and I've said for a long time, Hathflyer is a really scary company. They're really good at beating up their competitors and they're really good at integrating and they're really, really aggressive in go to market. And so like respect to them, I think this is smart. Josh, any other thoughts here? Nothing meaningful to add, but that's, yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, this has been a lot of the area that Uptick has built our tech into, not specifically the positioning of Ulo, but traditionally AppsFlyer and other measurement providers, you know, the ones we talk a lot about commonly adjust, singular, game site for PC, they are in the business of calling balls and strikes. They tell you just what the data says. And that's not enough for a marketer. Like there's still kind of two layers of, okay, well, A, fill in the gaps. Like what does this mean? Because a lot of times data in this day and age only gives you partial data. So you have to do a modeling and projection layer on top of that. That's part of the tools that Uptick builds. So I think the first is, okay, yeah, this is literally what happened. But like, what is the, the big picture takeaways I should have from this data and the insights? And the other part is, okay, cool. So this is the insights and what I should do can you do the work for me? Like, can you actually execute? And practically what that means is not just reading from ad networks, but having a write back and actually enacting on the insights to the ad networks. And so there's a whole ripe area in between calling those balls and strikes and making your marketing campaigns have a successful outcome. And uptick builds in this area with our tech, but I think this is also this ripe area of the promise of AI for UA that Ulo and similar companies are in. So it's a ripe area. We haven't seen someone knock it out of the park yet, but it does make sense strategically that AppsFlyer would go after the segment. Yeah. And there's like a fair amount of competition. It seems like every time I turn around, there's another ad tech company building a SaaS ad tech business that's popping up trying to build in this space. So it's good for consumers. I mean, or it's like businesses, but a lot of competition for our SaaS platform. So hit us up if you want help. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, going from AI for UA into other AI developments, what else is going on this week, Sander? Yeah. So Josh brought this one to our attention, which is a really, really interesting trailer dropped by Google, which is Google's DeepMind division, which is their trailer for Gemini. Gemini is their new multimodal AI, which is a competitor to ChatGPT. And if you watch this video, it's super, super impressive. Now, you and I were talking offline, Warren, about how we think this is a fairly selectively edited video. You know, I think that Gemini probably doesn't work as smoothly as this video implies that it does, but sort of regardless, it's pretty impressive what we're seeing in terms of the capacity of this model overall. And I'm pretty excited to, as someone who uses ChatGPT all the time, I'm pretty excited to, to use it at some point. What do you guys think? Yeah, for our people watching on YouTube and other video platforms, we've got the trailer, not the trailer, but the marketing video from Gemini playing in the background. Josh, I'd love your thoughts on the Gemini announcement video here, both from a creative standpoint of how much of this video do you think is real versus stage? And also, you know, what you think of the demo overall? Yeah, so funny enough, I didn't notice at the first watch, but as we were watching it right now, at the very bottom, the sequence is shortened. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I caught it the first time. That being said, even cut, this is still impressive. I mean, yeah. It it feels like like baby AGI. Like I I don't I, I don't know. I mean maybe maybe that's a little aggressive, but it's just incredible how much it understands like everything, and it's talking to you like a child would almost right. And of course it knows certain things, but I know it was just it was really interesting. And then yeah, I think so many trailers you'll see like talking heads talking about. I mean because there are other Gemini videos. It's people talking about it showing stats like, oh, it's better than ChatGPT in these areas and stuff. But I think this just, this one, you can just like emotionally feel it because of just the conversation. It just feels like you're talking to a human. Um, so I don't know if this is the one that hit me personally. Yeah. 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 It's the classic marketing show. Don't tell. I think just seeing it in motion, if we give the concession of just taking it on surface level, that the things in this demo actually occurred. To your point, Josh, I mean, you refer to it as baby AGI. That's one way to think of it. I think the thing that jumped out to me was Gemini in this video clearly seems to demonstrate what I would say is a personality and preferences and how it communicates. That's something that we haven't seen in, I mean, maybe setting aside Brock, which is <laughs> it's almost like personality before product, I think, at this stage. Like there's, there, there's a personality shown in Gemini in this demo. It's playful. It makes jokes. Like it's not just repeating facts, you know, and that seems like a true leap forward with AI as we see more of this, at least, you know, call it the appearance of a personality. I'd argue ChatGPT has a personality. It's just person's boring. Right. It's like <laughs> what I mean, I'm like, and to be clear, I use ChatGPT actually a ton. And I think maybe we can talk about that later. But I think they have given a personality and the personality is like a straight laced businessman. Right. And they've sort of like beaten that personality into them. That's a very, very intentional. You can't get it. I mean, you can, you can like tell it explicitly, go behave this way and it'll behave differently. But if you don't, it like right. intentionally has a straight face. Yeah, I think that's the nuance I see in the Gemini demo is like it's clear that in the demo they are doing playful things and eliciting like jokes and playful responses but they don't say like if you tell chat gpt tell me a joke it will tell you a joke but it's not going to just sneak humor and jokes into you know if you ask it like 
what's the best way to file my taxes next year or something like that. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. The emotional intelligence. I hadn't thought about that earlier, but maybe that's why it like it felt so fun to watch because it had a good personality that wasn't overbearing like rock. Like it just felt cute. It felt kind of natural, which is simultaneously really exciting and a little scary. Have you guys played with GPTs in ChatGPT uh, four at all? Yeah. Yes, a ton. I, I haven't got much chance. Yet. Warren, I've been saying this before, but we need to get you on there. Although I don't know if you could sign up right now. I think it's still closed. But one of the things that's really interesting there is the GPTs are basically people able to build their own versions of ChatGPT, and they make it have personality in that case, right? And so it's sort of like the default flavor is vanilla for GPT four. But like, there's a Ron Burgundy one I was talking to this week. Spoiler alert, we're going to very likely have an uptick one. We'll see if we can get that out. Um, so more to come on that front, but yeah. Cool. Um, well, one other sort of announcement here before I want to talk to Josh about some of the stuff that he's been doing a deep dive on is we had the debut of Pika. And so we're going to just jump over to that video. Cool. So Pika was also introduced last week. It's a new company that was founded $55 million by Lightspeed Venture Partners. And they unveiled the coin, Pico Labs unveiled the coin Pico One, which is an AI generation tool merging AI with user friendly features. And the goal here is to democratize video production, according to them, and empower people. And small, sorry, Xander, small correction, fun, funded by Lightspeed, not founded by, Lightspeed. by Lightspeed. Correct. Basically, the idea is you can use text to video, image to video, video to video, and then modify video sort of in real time. And I mean, again, much like the other video we we're just watching with Gemini, I and mean, this thing looks crazy. I mean, if it works anything at all, like represented, this is like every person gets superpowers when it comes to visual editing and video editing. I mean, Josh, this is something that you'd probably use very well. Have you had a chance to dig into this at all? Yeah. So I haven't been able to try the 1.0, but I tried their beta version and I still, I still use it. It's good. It's a good tool. Like in the current version I use, I take mid-journey images and then put it in and then allow, and you can describe the motion you want it to implement and it'll do it and it'll do a pretty good job. I've had some, I've had some luck, I would say. That being said, so watching this video, it's like, wow, this is a huge leap up, but I am skeptical because I've been burned before. When, <laughs> when Runway dropped their trailers and they've done it to me again and again, I'd be like, oh, like, you know, this is the moment it's like finally, and then you try it out and it. It's just not as good as advertised. But that being said, like, you know, it's going to get there eventually. But yeah, it's like they're advertising what it's going to be like six months from now. And that's my guess with Pika. Like, they're just showcasing the very best. And I'm sure it'll be good. Like, it's already adding value to me personally. For example, I've used Runway for one of our clients. I've used Pika, at least for a personal project. And I plan to continue. But I just don't think it's going to be this good on release. Well, I think what you just described. Yeah. And you brought up. A, the, what you just described is how I feel brought about up Gemini. A good point. Gemini is also doing the same. That cut of what we saw with Gemini is exactly how you described. Like as someone who uses ChatGBT, I know that it's not as good as what they just showed us. And so I think, you know, it'll get there. And then I'm being a curmudgeon by saying that. But I'd be surprised at what they highlighted is there right now. Sorry, Warren, you were saying something? Yeah, I mean, well, a, a couple of thoughts. You know, 
Xander and I were talking before the pod today, I was saying we're like in the phase of, it's like the reverse of deepfakes. Like it's not like AI tricking you into thinking of something real. It's that we're actually doing more human made or at least human assisted pieces of content and faking that it's the AI completely doing it. So it's an interesting phase right now, but in that's my first thought. And my second thought is like, you know, we talked a second ago about Ulo and not to say anything good or bad about them specifically, but there's been this long overpromised AI is going to solve our your user acquisition challenges as marketers. And it's now been, I think since like 2016, 2017, that there's been products and promises along that. And it has always had immense gaps between actually meeting the needs and solving the problems advertised because in the same way that like, I mean, for some time now, AI has been able to make creative, you know, static creative and larger capacity and primitive types of video creative, having easy access to crappy creative at scale in the same way that having access to like badly done user acquisition at scale, like these are not products that drive value, you know, because both in the growth marketing funnel, both the role of creative and the role of, you know, the, the actual operations of user acquisition, campaign management, optimization, if those aren't done with excellence, it's not even like worth having. So kind of a brain dump, but it's sort of like, yes, these things are maturing, but until they're great, they kind of don't earn a spot in the marketer stack, at least as a front to back solution. But maybe actually we can kind of bridge into our conversation here. Like, Josh, what's kind of like the state of AI tools for creative, like what are you and the team actually realizing and using in your workflows and your stack today? And what is still sort of like empty promises? Yeah. So I actually want to start with the AI tool that'll solve your, you know, one-stop shop for producing a video or even graphics. It's just kind of like, Hey, use this tool and anybody like, you know, without any experience or training, like you can produce a high quality video. Back in the day, it was just straight templates which just produced boring videos that obviously wouldn't be very effective. And then now, in fairness, now like what they're creating is much better. And so I think it was around last year when like Dolly and Midjourney started making breakthroughs. It was that point where I stopped dismissing it and started diving in. That's on the image creation side. And then now on the video side, I mean, I was early on the video set. Like I was getting excited before it was really ready. And I, now I think it's getting to that phase of it's actually becoming useful. But at least with video specifically, you need a video editor to work that AI tool to get the right clip, then, you know, do some editing, et cetera. With image creation, you can do a lot more without an editor, but it really does a lot if you can add some Photoshop in at the end right. or something <laughs> like that. So just for example, like, so when I was working on their fashion brand, I was like, hey, we could try using AI generated models in Midjourney and then like using Photoshop to slap in logos in there. And it worked. It looked amazing. That being said, they still chose not to do it. But like, that's the combination of like using AI plus like Adobe Suite. That's when it gets magical, I think. At this stage, at some point, you know, you might not need that Adobe bridge. But for the time being, I think when you combine like traditional editing with the AI generation, it gets really exciting. So Josh, you talked about this sort of in passing, but can you talk about what are some of the real use cases that you're doing today and like sort of what the full workflow look to what extent are you actually doing? Which part is the AI do? What part are you doing? And what are sort of the outcomes at the end of that? Okay. So I'm also going to use some specific examples which we might have to be about for their trailer. We received, I remember like, you know, there was only so much footage and images we had to work with. So one of the first frames in there, when you're trying to like introduce them to the world, we had an image to work with and we wanted to add motion to it. 
So I actually tried using Pika and Runway to generate that motion at the beginning. And the Runway one just happened to be better in that case. Like it's very much like so far for me, it's like so far, right? This is Pika beta version. It's not like clear which one is superior. It's kind of been like some just do better in certain cases. So that particular one, Runway did better. But it exports like a low res quality video. So then I took that to CapCut where they have their AI up res feature. Mm -hmm. And so did that, scaled it up, made it look really polished. And it was to the point where, yeah, I just remember their creative director was like, wow, like, how did you create this? It looks like amazing. So that was a case of us using it in a successful trailer. So that's just one example right there. And then I guess in personal projects, I haven't like published any of this stuff just yet, but yeah, I mean, pretty much like anything you want to generate in mid-journey and then adding motion with these like, with like Runway or Pika. I've tried text to image in Runway, at least not impressive, but I'm sure it'll get there. Yeah, so maybe it's fair to quantify in this current state, like these are powerful and helpful tools or like assistance in parts of the process. But what the Pika demo video, or I don't even know if we should call it a demo, like the trailer, trailer. what it represents is this like idea to video full stack. You know, it's like we're in the era of like useful tools that can kind of complete or assist with parts of the job. But it strikes me that we're very firmly not in the era of replacement for compelling, call it like purpose-driven video. Like when you're making video to not just like show something, but to like accomplish a specific goal, which is like most of the creative we're making it, it up to. Is that a reasonable a week from now? Like that might be different, but <laughs> yeah, for the week of you know December 6th, like is that kind of where you feel like we're at, Josh? Yeah, very much so. And you know, to be honest, I think last year when, as soon as I saw Dolly, this is before the chat GPT mm-hmm. hype, even just seeing Dolly 2, I was like, oh, damn, like it's coming, right? And initially it was like fear. It was like, oh, shoot, am I like, is my skill set no longer valuable? But as I dove into it, it just became clear that these are amazing tools that can allow one editor or designer to do a lot more than they ever could before. So that's like exciting. Yeah. I guess the whole thing is like, eventually, like your team will need probably less editors and they can do more with it. But we're not in the stage of needing like no human intervention or like no experienced yeah. editor, designer, human inter- intervention. Yeah, that's the thing that strikes me as well, because for any of the games we work on, we're still ultimately capped by human production capacity. And I think the ideas that we want to try on every game we work on versus what we can actually try in a given month, like there's so much room between those two, between what a human team can produce and what we want to aspire, especially as a team that does a lot of testing. So I think that's really exciting for this next year as these tools get more robust is just scaling, like what small teams can do, what we at Uptick can offer for our clients without increasing like our cost tied to human capital expenditure for them, just doing more with the same team size, but having these tools like really scale up and let us test more. I think it's an exciting time. We may have like very dark times for AI, like around the not so distant corner, but I feel like this next year is going to be, I think, a honeymoon phase of hitting a sweet spot with a lot of these emerging technologies within AI and their applications to growth marketing. Yeah, I think this is like not a very particularly interesting take, but what I'm just excited about is like, I know I've never been someone who wants to go work at a thousand person company or even like a hundred thousand person company, but I think you're going to have such baller teams of 20 to 50 people who are going to be able to do the most ridiculous things. I mean, it's not crazy to imagine you do GTA six in 10 years with a hundred people or less, you know, like 
that's what I'm really excited for is because like, as someone who likes small team sizes and like uses these tools now as they are and understanding that they're going to get better, like, I'm really excited for what me and small teams can produce. And that's, I think what's really exciting. One question I had for you, Josh, and I don't know if there's an obvious answer to this, but is like, to what extent is this like efficiencies, which is everything we've talked about now and more in a few thoughts you're checked into, but versus to what extent are we enabling things that are not possible today? And like, what is the like light switch moment from where we're doing stuff that was not possible yesterday? So for me, there was a lot of things that just aren't possible. I mean, at least, you know, under like resource and budget right. constraints, at the very least, you can say like some of the images or animations we've been able to produce, it's like you just couldn't do that. Like, you know, at least on our smaller budgets, right? right? So that's really exciting to me. I mean, some of the things that Midjourney can produce just blows my mind. And the, the things Midjourney produce, like even on a big budget, I don't know if that was possible. Right. You know what I mean? Like you can kind of create anything you dream of. Yeah. Time. I mean, I definitely had a similar, I have a side project I was working on and I wanted a very specific graphic and it took me like trying every single different image generation platform, but finally Dolly 3 got me this graphic I wanted and I was looking at it and I can spend a couple hours and like $20 a month or whatever to figure this out. And then at the end, I'm like, this is probably a 50 hour graphic for someone to produce it. And it's like, as an individual, I'm never going to pay that. And so it's like, holy crap, we are in sort of this new world, which is pretty exciting. I don't want any thoughts here. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things we talk about, I think, are more in the current state about scaling efficiencies, being able to exponentially scale what you can do with finite human or hardware resources. And that's the most common applications. But I think we already see, even within our sector of growth marketing, things that are just simply beyond human capacity. You know, like some of the optimization algorithms within ad networks, they started as sort of like, okay, well, what would a human do to optimize this? Let's see if we can get an algorithm to do this. But now some of these are so advanced, you could give it a human infinite time or near infinite time, and they couldn't make the same granularity of optimization and delivery decisions that the algorithms of Facebook and Google do today. So I think we've already passed that human capacity in some aspects of AI and ML. But for, yeah, for this area that we're digging today of creative, I think it's just a time inefficiently scale at this point. I have yet to see something where it's like a human literally could not, or a human team literally could not produce this. I don't know. Would you agree with that, Josh? Yeah, that, that, that is fair. I think with some of the images or graphics I've created, I was like typing in something with one idea in mind and then it produced mm -hmm. something like mm. I was not expecting that I ended up liking better anyway. Of course, that can happen if you hire a graphic artist and, you know, they could deliver something right. better than you were expecting. But that would take them like a while to do. And then you could say like, yes or no, but this is like happening in less than a minute. And yeah. then you can make something similar to that and like iterate off that. So in theory, a human could do this, but like it just wouldn't happen like that. You know, with humans. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's like theoretically given Josh, the artist, infinite time you would have the ability to ideate and eventually land on a concept akin to what you're describing. But at that point, we're just going beyond the constraints of like human lifespan and what one person or one team could do just to be able to iterate on ideas enough to land on this specific creation. And certainly like, beyond biggest budgets. <laughs> yeah, yes. We would be way over budget for that project. Cool. Well, I think that's a, a good sort of roundabout. Josh, any final thoughts on this topic? Yeah, actually. So I feel like image creation has gone really great. There's just one challenge that I'm personally dealing with. Consistent character yeah. creation, right? And mm -hmm. there are these like hacks around it. And I mean, I don't want to like dive too much into it, but I think once we get there, 
it'll really unlock a lot. Because I think that's that's been the big limiter yeah. for me using it for our clients, for example. Because, you know, like you can generate something like the characters, but if it's not exactly it, you can't use that in an ad, right? So, right. That's what I'm really waiting for. Right. Like we've worked on like Disney IP, for example, and it's not, you don't have room to be like, yeah, that kind of looks like Mickey Mouse. Like that's not going to fly. That's not going to get approved. So I think, yeah, getting to that point where you can work with the AI to be like, no, you need to make it more like this. No, you need to make the character like exactly like this and that that can translate on screen and give the same level of brand consistency that AAA brands expect. That is a breakthrough that we're very, very close to. to. I think, yeah, which is, I which is why I'm surprised. Excited. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, I, I mean, I think it's actually a given that we'll get to that level within the next six months. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Warren, any final thoughts? Yeah, Josh, thanks for joining for your debut episode. Really cool to get your thoughts. One thing I love about our team here is like, we try to be very unsiloed here at Uptick. Like we have our creative team, you know, also doing R&D work, working with our tech and platform team and working with our UA team. That's just kind of what we do here at Uptick. So if you are working on a game and need the help of some smart people that work hard to solve these growth problems for you, reach out to our team. We always love to talk to teams building games and see how we can help grow your player base. So you can reach us at uptick.com. That's U-P-P-T-I-C dot com. Talk soon.